Good morning, Harbor City Church. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor, and I'm so excited to bring you God's Word today. Uh, we're in the midst of a series, and the series has um, it has some edges to it. Um, it's it's called Why, and we're looking at God and suffering because for so many of us, God and suffering don't fit together. Uh, in our experiences, our suffering causes us to think that maybe God is not here, maybe God is mad at us, maybe God has abandoned us. And when we actually look at the Bible, though, the Bible wants us to bring God and suffering together. Um, and the, when the Bible does that, it does it in a very, very wonderfully human and real way. Um, there isn't just one verse that you can take out of the Bible and use it for every situation where suffering is happening. The Bible is much more human. It's much more nuanced. It's much kinder to us. It recognizes that there are different kinds of suffering. It recognizes that there's all different ways that we want to address suffering. And so this series is us looking at some of the different voices in the Bible that complement one another to give us the fullness of who God is in response to our suffering, to strengthen us, to be able to give more than just a pat answer to someone else who's suffering or, to, or a pat answer for our own soul. Um, what we're doing with this series is we're looking at highly nuanced and different responses that God wants us to have so that we can join him in our suffering. And maybe we could say so that we would see that God is with us in our suffering. And so last week we saw the place to start. We looked at Psalm 23 and, and we saw that this Psalm, uh, it, it faces the reality that suffering is real, but also reminds us and preaches to us that God is even more real and that God is with us in the midst of our suffering. And so we want to be real about suffering, but there's something even more real, and that's that God is with us. And so today we're going to ask the question, and this is the title of our message, can we find joy in suffering? Can we find joy in suffering? God says yes. God says to us, yes, we can find joy in suffering. And you're going to have the opportunity to find joy in your suffering today. In this message, God is going to invite you to have joy in your suffering. And so we're going to read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We're going to read all the way through it, and then we're going to go back over it and kind of walk through the verses one by one. And so this is James 1, verses 1 through 5. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greeting. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So this is God's word. So I want to just walk through these verses and help you see how the Bible, how God wants you to invite him into your suffering and even to find joy. So it begins with verse one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, most scholars believe that this is James, the brother of Jesus. And I love the humility of this. 
I love the humility that even though James could have said, hey, I'm his brother, listen up. That's not what James does. James identifies himself merely as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Humility there. And then he's writing this to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now that might be confusing for a lot of us um, who are maybe new to the Bible, um, the 12 tribes and the dispersion. This is James saying that the Christians that he's writing to are actually the new Israel. Okay, the 12 tribes, this is a reference in the Old Testament. Um, the nation of Israel is made up of 12 families. So the person who uh, was, it's interesting, Jacob uh, was one of the patriarchs. He had 12 sons and those 12 sons and their families became the nation of Israel. And so uh, the nation, all of God's people were referred to as the 12 tribes of Israel. And so James is saying that now people who are following Jesus, that you now are the people of God, that you are the new family of God. And he says, you're in the dispersion. And what this means, this is a reference to the fact that, that God had sent his people and dispersed them throughout the nations that they had been dispersed. They weren't in one place anymore, but they were being sent out. And this causes trouble. Um, When, and and this was trouble for them, and it's still trouble for us because we also live in a world that's very different from us because that's what happened as, as the people are dispersed. As God sends them out, they find themselves in very different cultures with very different kinds of people people who have different values, people who have different behaviors, people who do things, things, different sense of right and wrong. And so being in the dispersion is a recognition that the lives that God is calling us to live are in the midst of people that don't agree with us. They're in the midst of people who do things differently from us. And this is important because this is reality. This is reality. God knows it's difficult. And so he says, you're in the dispersion. He's saying, look, I see it. I know how hard it can be. I recognize that you're in the midst of a culture that often is moving in the opposite direction that you're trying to go. You're trying to follow me and so much around you is not. And so you're ostracized. You're made to feel weird. You are silenced even at times, made to feel like you can't share what you think or how you feel because it's just gonna run against the grain of where everybody else is. And so... If you feel that way about life, if you are struggling at all because the world that you live in, the city that you live in, the family that you're living in with, the friends that you have, if they're in a different place, God says to you this morning, greetings. He says, I see you and I'm with you. God's word is powerful and it speaks to us. It's speaking to us right now today. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers. And brothers um, was just in back then, they just said brothers for brothers and sisters. And so it includes men and women. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Trials are when, when bad things happen. Trials are when life gets difficult. Trials are when suffering happens. Um, Anytime anything happens to you that you don't like, that you don't want, uh, that can be a trial. 
um, anytime there is a shaking up of your life, an unsettling of your life, that is a trial. And James here says, when you meet trials, when life falls apart, when things get difficult, when suffering abounds, James says in this verse, look at it, count it all joy. This is one of those places where when you read the Bible, you can feel like it might be out of touch with reality. It might, you might feel like this is describing something that seems impossible. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is God's word to us today. It's a command. And so usually the commands are given when these are things that we wouldn't do on our own. And so, and, and that's the case here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Um, what is joy? I, th I think sometimes uh, this word joy can get confused. Um, so let me just give you a definition. Um, joy is, let's see, I've got a definition here. Um, yeah, joy is, it's the good feeling you get when something good happens. Okay, pretty simple. Joy is the good feeling that you get when something good happens. Um, now, I know that in the Christian church, there's a lot of people who have tried to redefine joy because they want to be able to have joy when they're not happy. And I totally understand that. It makes a lot of sense, right? Because if we're supposed to have joy when we meet, when we're suffering, right? If, if, if we're supposed to have joy when life falls apart, how is that possible, right? And so they say, you know what? Joy is uh, it's, it's not happiness. It's different from happiness. Joy is this sort of deep-seated confidence that God is still in control when life falls apart. And so you can have joy even when you're not happy. And that sounds great. It really does. And there are lots of people who have grown immensely because they've taken that definition of joy and tried to work it into their lives. Where they, and, and we're going to talk more about that uh, with this passage as it goes on. But um, the problem with that interpretation of joy is that it's just not what the word means. It's not what the word means. Joy means joy. Like joy means happiness. It really means happy. Um, that's, that's just what the word means. And you can try to like work it around. And, and, I, and I recognize like the concern is, the concern is, well, wait, I can't do this then when I'm suffering. And so now I'm excluded from this passage and maybe others. So the Bible doesn't actually work for me. Um, and maybe God is out of touch or out, out of focus with reality um, if this means happiness. And I want to offer you a different way. I want to offer you another way to actually take seriously what the word means. So it's, it's the word, it means happiness in Greek. So that's what the word means. And so how can we have joy when we meet trials of various kinds? Um, I'm going to tell you that the Bible is full of people who can feel more than one thing at once. The Bible is full of people who are so real about the pain and the suffering that they're going through, but they're also so convinced of the reality that God is at work in their lives that they can be both happy about what God is doing and honestly sad, depressed frustrated, angry about the brokenness of their lives and the suffering that they're going through. And so 
what James is telling us here in this verse. He's saying, count it all joy when you meet trials. He's saying, be happy. Realize that this is a time for you to be happy. And again, we got to like deal with the objection. Like, how is it possible to be happy? How is it possible to have real joy? Like to feel that good feeling you get when something good happens. When, when <laughs> the definition of a trial is that it's bad, that something bad is happening. So how can we say that we can have joy? Verse 3 explains. Verse 3 begins with the word for. And the word for means because. And so James is going to explain himself. James knows how difficult this will be. James knows how counterintuitive this is. And so he explains. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So what James is saying here is that when trials come, trials actually test our faith. So, Testing your faith, what does that mean? Well, when bad things happen, we find out if you really believe God or not. If you really trust God or not. We find out if you believe that God is in control. We find out if you really are going to honor him in your response to your suffering, in response to your trial. And so it's a testing of your faith. Um, we're, we're looking here at, it's, it's an opportunity to see if your faith is genuine. And so when this happens, he says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And this is a word that's, I still remember the first time I ever heard a message about this passage. I was in college and, uh, and the college pastor described this. He said, steadfastness is a word, it's a Greek word, it's hupomone or hupomene, I think. Yeah, it's hupomene, sorry, hupomene. And it's a compound word. Hupo means to be under. Okay, it's to be under. And mene is the word for abide. So when Jesus says in the Gospels, abide in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. I'm the vine, you're the branches in John 15. He's saying like, you need to remain with me. You need to live with me in you. Like your presence, Jesus, your presence in me makes me bear fruit. Like there's this idea and he says it's abiding, that we're abiding in Christ. And so hupo mene, so abide is mene, hupo is under. And so we are remaining under. And so what does this mean? Well, the idea here, the picture is that trials and suffering, when bad things happen, it's like weight added to us. It's like we're carrying a backpack and when a trial hits, 20 pounds goes into our backpack. 50 pounds goes into our backpack. A hundred pounds goes into our backpack and we are weighed down. You feel this, right? Like you understand this. Like when suffering happens, you feel like you're carrying around this weight. You feel like you're carrying around something that's broken and, and it's just, it's part of your mental thinking and you just can't stop thinking about it. And it's hard to, like everything's different because you're going through this suffering, right? And so this, this happens and, and, being underneath that weight and living your life, that is what, like, that's what steadfastness is. It's the ability to actually walk around with this added weight. The idea here is that the testing of your faith, what suffering does, is it puts you in a workout. 
that God is adding weight to your life or that what God wants to do, it's not that God is adding to you. It's that suffering happens. And very often suffering is, um, it's not necessarily God's design, but it's something that other people have done to you or it's something that you maybe have done to yourself. And what God does is he comes in and he says, look, out of the mess of this, I'm going to strengthen you. You're going to be under this weight and you're not going to be, like you're not going to fall. <clears throat> and so, and it produces this steadfastness. It's like a workout for your faith. And so underneath this weight, living life, having faith when times are difficult, it makes you strong. That's what steadfastness is. It's that we can add weight to your life and you're not going to crumble. So you end up with stronger faith. You end up with more robust faith. Um, and then verse four goes on to describe why you can be happy about this. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. So this ability to be up under, this ability to grow and to be strong in your faith, to be able to carry the weight of your suffering and not crumble, um, that it has an effect and there's a full effect. And this is the full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. How would you like that? How would you like to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? And it sounds too good to be true, right? And, and when we think about perfect, you know, we tend to think like without error, completely perfect in every way. That's not really what the Bible means when it uses the term perfect. Um, perfect and complete means mature. It means that now you are strong enough to weather just about anything. That once you go through the workout of your faith, once you go through the weight training of life, and you continue to believe, you get this steadfastness, and you become able to withstand anything. And this means that you are mature. This means that you are, you're grown up. Your faith is grown up. And you may not always do this perfectly, but you become someone who, in the midst of anything, you're holding on to Jesus. You continue to look and to see how God is working this goodness in you in the midst of your suffering. Perfect and complete lacking in nothing. And so this is why you can be happy about difficulty. This is why you can be happy about, um, about suffering, about trials when life falls apart. You can be happy because, not because of the bad thing that's happening, right? You can grieve that. The Bible says grieve it. The Bible says you can lament it. The Bible says you can lament to God. You can complain you can be frustrated. The Psalms teach us that all of that negative emotion that is an honest reaction to suffering and to abuse and to betrayal and to all of the bad things that happen, like God tells us that it's okay and it's actually recommended that we are honest with him about the negative emotions that we have. But at the same time, at the same time, we can be happy. We can be happy not because of the trial, but because of how God will use the trial to make us strong.
And in the midst of this, very often when things fall apart, we don't know like how to respond, right? We don't understand what exactly it is that we ought to do. Um, and so then verse 5 fills in that gap. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And so what we see here is that, um, that God understands that sometimes we might know, all right, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to count it all joy. I'm supposed to be happy in this, but I don't know how to be. God, I don't know how to see good come out of this. I don't know how to see my faith stretched in this. And so James is quick to say, and if you lack wisdom, if you lack the ability to know what to do in this situation, ask God. Ask God. And he paints us a picture of God here. This is God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is kind of a weird, for, I mean, generously to all, that makes sense. This means that God is eager to give you what you need in the situation. God is eager to give you this wisdom. He's eager to tell you what to do. He's eager to show you how he is using this trial to strengthen your faith and produce steadfastness. He's eager to show you how in this process you are becoming perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's eager to show you this. He'll do this and he'll give you generously his wisdom without reproach. That means it's the opposite. It's, it's God is not this person who has all of these resources. And when you ask him, he's like, again? Dang it, I guess I'll give you something. I guess if you don't have this, you should have it by now. I mean, how many times have you been through this, right? Like that's not God's disposition. It's without reproach. He doesn't despise us for coming and asking him. In fact, this prayer is what turns this whole process into communion. This prayer is what turns this passage into us drawing closer to God. Some of us know that this is what happens. And so when trials hit, we know that we're supposed to at some point, as soon as we possibly can, go to God and thank him, not for the trial, but for what he'll do in the trial. And others of us just have no idea what to do. And so James says, ask God, go to God and ask him, and he will give you the wisdom that you need. God wants everything, including trials, not to drive us away from him, but to bring us close to him so that we become perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Don't you want that for yourself? I want that for you. I want all of us in our church to be full, to be steadfast, to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And these people, these are, they are strong. They're confident in God in the midst of their suffering. And so these are people that are real about their suffering, but they're not undone by it. Right? They know that God uses their suffering. They know it, and so they have confidence in God's power. And they are real. It's painful, but they see God, and their joy-filled focus is on Him. And their focus is on what God is going to make out of them. And so, yeah, um, so these people, these people don't always know what to do, but they know the one who does, Right? They are happy because they know God promises to use this to make them strong. And so these are people 
these perfect and complete people, sometimes they go to this verse, this passage in James when things fall apart, when trials hit. And sometimes there's, there are other places in the Bible. And so I want to ask you, actually, what are the passages that you go to when life falls apart? What are the parts of the Bible that, you, that, that, that come alive to you again when you're suffering? Would you please share them with us? I mean, in the Facebook chat, put in the chapter and the verse, or tell us the idea, like what is it about God that you remember when things are hard that gets you through it, that helps you stay up under the weight and not crumble? Like what are those passages? Direct message us using the Facebook, uh, using Facebook. Um, I would love to get a list and I'd love to share this list as we go through the rest of this series. And what's exciting is that if you have something, if you have a passage of scripture that you go to when you suffer, if you've got an idea or a truth about God that you know for sure or a story in the Bible, if you've got something like that, then you are becoming perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't that encouraging? That God is already working this in you. And if you don't, if nothing comes to mind, then... Verse 5 tells us, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask God. So there's something I'd like you to do. Um, ask yourself, like, what trials have you endured in your life? In what ways have you had to suffer? What difficulties have you had to experience? Um, make a list of the biggest trials that you've experienced in your life, the biggest times when life fell apart, the, the worst suffering. And then on a scale of 1 to 10, rate. Rate your trials. You know, 3 is it was minor. Um, 7 is that it was really, really hard. 10 would be it was so bad that I lost my faith. Rate those trials and just recognize that for every one of those trials, like with your rating, um, God used those trials. Like those trials added weight to you. But God is going to give you strength. So trials add weight, but God gives you strength to stay up under it. And then, I mean, do this this week with your list. What has God taught you? And maybe there's something specific in each one of those trials that God has taught you. Make a list of those things, like add that to your list. Because I got to tell you, man, that list will be gold for you. When you begin to see that this has already happened in your life, it will give you confidence that this passage of scripture will continue to come true for you in your life. And sometimes we've got to be proactive. We've got to name these things. I also need to tell you too that sometimes, sometimes it's easier after the trial is over, to try to have this perspective than it is when the trial's going on. I mean, James says, count it all joy when you are in these trials. Um, so ideally, we're thinking these ways. We're going to God. We're, we're counting it joy. We're deciding that we're going to be happy about the effect of this trial in the middle of the trial. But if you're like me, sometimes we just can't get there. And so afterwards, Sometimes afterwards, um, we can go back 
and we can look at the ways that we've suffered and what God might have done do, uh, during that time. Um, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Um, his name's George. Uh, he was a year ahead of me in high school, and so this is a picture of him, um, and it's a picture of him at 47 years old, okay? Now, some of you see a photo like this, and you think, man, I really want to look like that. And a lot of you look at a photo like this and you think, well, I mean, it might be nice, but I really don't want to look like that because I know how hard it is to get to a place where I could look like that. A lot of you understand that to look like this, especially at 47, there's just, I mean, the amount of suffering that it takes to get that strong, to be that lean, right? To be that mature physically. Um, and you just think like, wait, <laughs> I'd rather just stick with, <laughs> with what I've got right here. Um, and I think it's important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand that our faith is like this, that to become what God wants you to be, to become mature and complete, lacking in nothing, it can't happen without suffering. I mean, suffering is what makes you strong. It's the workout of your faith. And so to have strong faith requires suffering. But the strong faith that you will have through suffering like, that is the reason to be happy. And so, some of you feel like you haven't suffered a whole lot. Maybe you're younger, maybe you just you feel like you've lived more of a charmed life, a blessed life. Um, I've got some bad news for you. Um, it's coming. It's coming. The suffering is coming. Like, there's just no, there's just no way around it. Um, but I've got good news, because anytime. Like, you can start this now. Anytime something happens to you that you didn't want, consider it joy. Anytime something happens that you didn't want, you can practice this. You can say, God, I don't want this. God, this is not my ideal. This is not what I would have wanted. Um, but God, how can this give me steadfastness? How can it make my faith strong? And if you can't see, ask God. If you can't see how this could make your faith strong, ask God. And God will meet you in that situation. And it could be as minor as, I can't find a parking space. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that when you react like this, and you just ask the question, God, how can this make my faith strong? How can this remind me of who you are and the goodness and the maturity that you're bringing to me, God will meet you in that place. And you'll find that he's real. You'll find that his perspective on things is different from yours. That his desire for you to have patience, his desire for you to have steadfastness is more important than you getting what you want in life. And you will start to become that person the moment that you ask this question of God. The moment that you say, God, how can you use this to strengthen my faith? That moment that you ask this, you start to become 
perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And the reason this is so important is because you, be, you, you instantiate this. Like you do this once and, and the moment that you do it, you begin to become the person who does this. And so in that time where you ask the question, God, how can I be happy because of what you're going to do with this trial? You become a person who asks God, how can I be happy? How can you use this? to give me steadfastness in the midst of this trial. And that's what it means to become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, most of us in our church have gone through a lot of suffering. Most of the people in our church. And I, I see you. We're not together right now. But I see you. I know you by name. I know you, you're part of our church family, and I know how much you've suffered. I'm thinking about your suffering. I know how many trials and the extreme nature of the trials that you've experienced. I see you, and so does God. And some of you have responded to your trials and you've done this. You've done what James says. You've considered it joy, not because of the suffering, but because of what God has brought through the suffering. Some of you have done this. But whether you did it right or you failed to respond like this, whether you got angry with God or sinned against people, whether you hurt yourself, today is the day for something new. Today is the day for you to be renewed. Today, I want you to find joy in your suffering. Today, I want you to find joy in your trials. And so right now in this moment, would you pray, God, God, could you show me how you've used this in my life? God, can you show me how you've strengthened my faith and trust in you? Can you show me how my faith has gotten stronger in the midst of this? I promise you God will answer this prayer and he will show you. He may show you directly by speaking to you by his spirit. Or he may actually want you to connect with someone else in our church. To connect into community. Sometimes I've got to talk about it out loud with somebody else before I see God's perspective in it. But either way, in this moment, will you look back on your suffering and your trials and consider it joy that God, through those trials, is making you strong, that you become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Friends, maturity doesn't look like us having our lives all together. Maturity as a Christian looks like us being quick to bring God into our suffering not to avoid him or run away from him. But in everything that we're experiencing, that we would bring God in with us. That's what God wants for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to lead our whole church, our family, 
And so on all of our behalf, we thank you not for the trials, but we thank you for being a God who can bring good even out of trials. We thank you, God, for being powerful enough to not let us go, for being loving and forgiving enough to graciously share with us your perspective and your wisdom. I thank you for the steadfastness and the endurance so that we can stand up under the weight. We're sorry that when we fail, for the ways that we ignore you, run away from you, God, we want to come back. Thank you that we can come back now and know that you are with us, even in the valley of the shadow of death. God, we see the maturity that you have built into us through this. We want more. We want more, God. We know your work isn't done. And so draw us. Help us. Give us your wisdom so that we can see how you've used the trials to make us more like you, more like Jesus in his response and better able to care for others who are suffering. Make us these people. Join us in our suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.